Before I call up our preacher this morning, I'd like to acknowledge Pastor Roy Ricafort from our Every Nation Sydney Church, the West Side. Pastor Roy, Pastor Roy Ricafort is here. Uh, he, he's part of the cohort of Every Nation Seminary. You, you'll see a lot of, uh, of our pastors from all over the world, from all over the nations. They have come to the Philippines to attend, some of them at least, uh, Every Nation Seminary. Last week, we heard from... Pastor Dave Ward, he's uh, one of the faculties of our Every Nation Seminary. And next week, we get to hear from Pastor Mel Calingo, who leads our Every Nation in Spain. So uh, watch out for that. And, but today, we're going to listen to a powerful preacher. I love hearing this man speak. You see him every Sunday. He's, he's always praying for us. He's been in victory. Okay, okay. He's, I just found out he's been here for 23 years. Do you know Victory Ortigas has been in exist, existence at least this year? This is our 30th year, okay? As Victory here in the Philippines, we're 40 years. As Victory Ortigas, we're, we're celebrating our 30th year. And 23 of those, John is here. Okay, I believe that the word, uh, there is a, uh, a word that God has prepared for us, and John is going to preach it this morning. Let's all welcome John Webb to preach God's Word. Times like this, I feel that God should have given us more arms, right? Maybe like an octopus. May I kindly ask us, Pastor Aldwin decided to introduce me just, because, just in case there are some of you who forgot me, okay? <laughs> okay, may I kindly ask us to stand in reverence in the reading of the Word. And we do this symbolically because the Word is preeminent in our lives. It is... Uh, quite a wonderful show of the gift of God to us that he reveals himself in such a specific manner. We're going to be reading from the book of Acts in chapter 19, verse 8 to 20. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and obstinate, am I? No, and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew. He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, two years, mind you, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs and the aprons 
that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases. They left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom, Paul's, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevailed mightily. Why don't we all pray? Let's all bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we pray that today that your word will be a lamp upon our feet and a light upon our path. Come, we invite you, Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Lead us into all truth that we may love your word, that we may covet your word, that we may value your word and not take it for granted. We pray today that as the word is preached, it will not be overextended, overinterpreted, but it will be liberally dispensed in love and humility, understanding that this message has a real meaning, which is true before, it is true today, and it will always be true. Let your word be preeminent in our lives, O Lord God. Let it be the final authority in all aspects of our lives. We decide on that and we ask you today that as we learn about your word, as we hear your word preach, it will result in a compassionate heart. We pray today, O Lord God, that as we become more compassionate and loving, that we will take up the cause of all those who are poor, who are destitute, who are marginalized, of those who are bullied. Because we are thankful today that the result of the truth of your word will be our very actions. Help us to love those even who are quite hard to love. And may that be the result of the preaching of your word today. Let action be the hallmark of every Christian that is in this place. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' most beautiful name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Why don't we take our seats? I love movies. I'm what, I'm what you call a uh, couch potato. You know what a couch potato is? It's like a potato and a lazy boy in a 
I, I even have the shape of a potato. But, but the truth is, movies uh, is, is so important for me. And I remember when I was young that I abhorred, I hated scary movies. I was easily traumatized, and I, I have bad dreams when I watch those movies. And I remember I watched, I won't give the titles of the movie so you won't be curious and you won't, because a lot of them are quite demonic. You know, a lot of horror movies are quite demonic. And oftentimes the narrative is always the same. So the demon comes or the oppressing uh, spirit comes and he beats up on the family and they're all looking for a savior. And then the priest or a holy person will come to try to exercise the house, to try to exercise the child or the girl, to try to exercise even the television set. So I don't know if you remember that in the 80s. Poltergeist, right? So anyway, so this, while this is transpiring, you're rooting for the protagonist and you're hoping, come on, you can do it, you can do it. And always, at the very end, you think the battle has already been won and the demon, suddenly a hand comes out of the, out of the, out of the grave and it's, he's alive, he's not defeated. So Hollywood is actually trying to show that evil or the forces of darkness is in the same footing as goodness. But we know better, right? You know the devil. The devil has the ignominy of not even being named. Do you know what Satan means? It's actually a description. It's not a name. It means adversary, adversary, enemy, no name. He's not worth giving a name. Even when I write down Satan, it's with a small s. He doesn't deserve a big S. He doesn't have any of the omni attributes of God. God has very distinct attributes. He's omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. Right? Not only that, he is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need to create us. He doesn't need anything. He has a satiety. And that means that he is absolutely autonomous and unaffected by any event in the entire cosmos. That's how powerful God is. And for Hollywood to portray God in such a losing uh, position is actually an injustice and it affects us. And we think, oh, I'm afraid of the dark, I'm afraid of ghosts, I'm afraid of evil spirits. But the Bible says that fear is a result of our sin. It is punishment, but that's not true. We are children of God. We have been given a measure of confidence, and that confidence is not based on our abilities, our giftings, our looks, or even our position in life. That boasting can only emanate from the foot of the cross. It's like what Paul said, I will only boast in one thing, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. And there we find the confidence that will enable us to defeat evil in whatever form in our lives. Because sometimes we are thinking, Ang hirap naman is so hard. Life is so hard and it seems that I'm always in a losing position with my battle against sin, with my battle against addiction, with a battle against my own ugali. Maybe our spouses are complaining. You say you're a Christian and yet you carry yourself in a manner that is not consistent with the faith that you profess. Isn't that a challenge? But we have to remember our position Oftentimes, we come here trying to earn the love of God, trying to reach this place of intimacy with God. 
But the truth is, pag born again na po kayo, you're already intimate. Intimate is not a pipe dream. It is not something that you are trying to achieve. You're already there. You're already intimate. Bodies na kayo ni Lord. And when you take that to heart, you conduct yourself in a different way. You view the challenges that confronts you in a different way and a confidence that can only come in humility by the power of the Holy Spirit can drive you uh, towards victory, towards, towards triumphing over the challenges that are seemingly insurmountable. They are not. And I remember in one movie in uh, The Usual Suspects, so I don't know if you've watched that movie, it's from the Ancient of Days. It's one of, one of the characters said today, the greatest trick of the devil is uh, ever pulled was convincing the world that he did not exist. But you know the Bible actually says the devil exists. And I want to read to you a, a, few, a few verses that warns us about the danger of um, falling into complacency. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Be watchful, your adversary. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And this one is quite popular. Many of us have an understanding on the job description of Satan himself because it says in John 10.10 10, that the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But there's a succeeding line, and it says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So you are in a position of victory. You are already in a position of being triumphant in whatever endeavor you're in, most especially with regards to your Christian walk. But we still have a very, very hard time convincing ourselves because sure, we're born again Christians. Sure, we have been bought by the blood of the Lamb. Sure, this is our, this is, uh, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Sure, but why am I still struggling with so many things in my life as if I am being oppressed? Now, I had a problem before with, uh, this is a little bit of a confession, Pastor Aldwin, Pastor Roy. When it comes to uh, spiritual warfare, I was sort of hesitant about that word. I don't know if you've heard that. The breaking of bondages through spiritual warfare. So this was an old concept. And I used to criticize that all the time. Hey, we're winners. I'm, I'm the son of the king. I've got, I've got, I've, I've got um, the big guy backing me in even the, my biggest problems. So I was not thinking so much of how important spiritual warfare is until I began to read the Bible. You know, when you read the Bible, you'll be reading some things that is actually kind of sobering, and it sort of tempers your expectations. In, so there is this theological term called already, but not yet. So this is a theological term. It means you're already saved. When you become born again, you believed in the name of Jesus Christ, you received him as Lord and Savior, you repent from all your sins, your name has now been written down in the book of life. In other words, when you die, you go to God. Now there are many preachers out there, they say, believe in his name, receive him as your Lord and Savior, but they Forget the last part, repent, repent, repent of your sins. 
And they never say that, and that is a downer. Why? People love God's grace. People love God's faithfulness. People love God's patience, but they have a hard time and struggle with His justice. And His justice demands that we repent from all sins, then, and only then, will be, we be counted as children of the living God. Then we will be given the right to be called a child of God. Is that good? Is that okay? So we cannot leave out repentance. We have to carry our cross. The cross was heavy. God's not picking on us. Jesus carried that cross on a hill. So we have to remember that. Life is hard, but we've got a tremendously, tremendously powerful backer. He's got our back. Now, let's get to, let's get to the, uh, to the uh, set of passages. The setting is Ephesus. Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. I don't know if any, any of us have been to Turkey, but it's a beautiful country. And ancient Ephesus was actually in a very, very strategic place in the Mediterranean. It was so strategic that it was called the uh, treasure, the treasure chest of Asia Minor. And mind you, the first missionary to come here was St. Paul himself. Paul. And mind you, again, so that we have a background of the kind of results that this guy accomplished all by his lonesome in the beginning. But you will see here that he was a disciple maker. And the disciples that he was making were also disciple makers. So it's no shock that the church will grow to what it is today. And it started there. Ephesus was quite cosmopolitan. It, you may describe it as like the New York of today or even Paris. It was cosmopolitan. It was very, uh, if the who's who was, was in Ephesus. And how many of us know in cosmopolitan cities. Although you will have great architecture there, although you will have museums, you will have sites, and you will have a, a lot of people, and um, rich people also, and, and the, that kind of thing, that also the people that will be converging are bad people. That's why another way to describe Ephesus is that it is a melting pot of the wicked of the corrupt, of the evil. It was sort of the hot spot for all kinds of criminals, con men, tricksters, or all kinds of clairvoyants, witches, um, pedophiles, sexual deviants, and the list goes on and on and on. And this, and this place had the climate that was just right for these kind of people. And now you think to yourself, really? Paul is thinking, this is the place where I will preach the word of God. It's as if he was challenging all the evil forces that, that I'm coming, and you better be wary, you better watch out. Not only were all the evil people there, but it was also a center of pagan worship. Actually, if you go there now, the... the the uh, temple of Artemis or Diana, the fertility goddess, it's, it still stands. So you can see that these pillars, which are over 60 feet high, they still stand. Although the statue of the goddess Diana, it's not there anymore. It got already worn out. 
but it was, it was quite tall, I think 240 feet tall. And it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So if you want to go to Turkey, you can see that. And, and we've got a picture here, a little bit pixelized, but that's the kind of place that this, this place was. Not only was, was it a boiling spot, a, a hot spot for pagan worship, it was also the place to be if you were practicing the magical arts. I know today it's not so big, but you'd be surprised. I have some very educate, educated friends, very worldly people, and they still consult clairvoyants. They still consult, um, what do you call them? Uh, palm readers. And even uh, once, and, and they really believe in it, and it's very important for them. And another, another, another uh, angle, not angle, but a facet of this kind of witchcraft is um, feng shui. People who are building houses, even mansions and palaces, they will consult the feng shui and pay a, a, a king's ransom to be able to get their advice on how to build a house, to be able to draw in luck. Now, it's not so big now, although it, it's quite prevalent, right? So a lot, a lot of the elements of ancient Ephesus that was very abhorrent to God is quite present today. Where we live, you'll be surprised. Many of us live in gated communities and we don't see the outside world, but the criminality, the child prostitution, the pornography, the white slavery, it exists. Maybe we don't see it. But how Ephesus is, is in a way the same today. The evil that exists before exists today. What Paul did to abate evil and to stop evil by his missionary journeys and the preaching of the word is also the way we will stop evil from approaching and winning here. And I'm going to show you what transpired in this passage of scriptures that we can emulate, that we can imbibe, that we can even do ourselves. Because it is in our hands. God did not leave us to our own devices, but he gave us a way out so that we will be able to stand. Okay? We're not alone. God gave us his very word. We cannot overlook that. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul was writing this. Remember, this is Acts. And Luke was writing the Acts. Dr. Luke. This is Ephesians. It was a letter written by the very hand of Paul. And he was actually pointing out what I just said. And he said, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces, forces of evil in the heavenly places. We don't see the battle, but there is a battle being waged today for our hearts, for our minds, for our affections. Don't think for one second, palibasa hindi nyo nakikita, hindi nangyayari. It is happening. But remember, there is one who is interceding for us that not even the most powerful demon can ever overcome, and that is the truth and the Spirit of God. And we'll get there later on. In 1 Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, and I'll just mention a, a quick uh, line in that verse. It says, For rebellion is as the sin of divination. 
and he even con- compares it to the iniquity of idolatry. All sin is idolatry. Every time we do what God does not want us to do, we are idolizing whatever the object of that sin is. It's always idolatry. Because sometimes you see natin, well, idolatry, that's a statue. A statue of the image of Christ, a statue of the baby Jesus, a statue of the Mother Mary, a statue of this and that and this and that. It's more insidious than that. Idolatry is where you place your heart that when taken from you, you will be undone. You will feel like, I want to die. That, those are idols that exist in all of us. And to identify it and lay it at the feet of the cross, to offer it to God is the trick for us to be freed from the love of everything that is carnal. Because there should only be one love in our hearts, and that is our love and adoration to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Everything is competition for Him. And for us to realize if there are those things in our hearts, we have to pray. We have to kneel down. Kahit na masugatan tayo sa tuhod, Lord, take it away from me. It's not good for me. It will cause pain to me. It will cause pain to the people I love. But most of all, it will cause pain to you. And we don't want to offend you. So we're talking about divination. This is the center of all magic, this, this place called Ephesus. Divination, what does that mean? I want to know the future. I want to know what the future lies for me. I want to know when I know my future, I will avoid this and I will invest here. Dito ako mag-invest. Hindi ako mag-invest dito. A lot of business people, they consult mediums. They consult uh, witches. And they consult all kinds of clairvoyants to be able to know what the future lies. There's only one person who knows our future, and that is God. That is God. He is the captain of our soul. In Him, we put our trust no matter what happens. As long as He is with us, not even death can separate us from the love of God that can only be found in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that can come in between us, not even the pride of life. Sometimes we're thinking, well, I, I just have to know. And when you want to know things that you should not know, then you are actually coveting some of the attributes that is distinctly God's. God is love, right? We strive to be loving people. That's fine. Because those attributes and characteristics of God was meant to be copied. Kaya nga Christ-like. But meron yung do not touch. And those are the omni-attributes. God is all-knowing. We have no right to know the future. Only He does. Yung toka natin is just to trust. Just to trust. Trust in His providential way because His providential way is always good. It is always perfect. It is always pleasing. And that is where God takes pleasure when we have faith in Him. Although we don't know what tomorrow will bring, we stand fast in confidence and not be paralyzed in fear and do God's will anyway. It's not the absence of trouble. It's not the absence of tribulation. Expect it. And this is what, what uh, Jesus said. Well, I'll, I'll get to that. Anyway, now for those of us who want to fight the good fight of faith, this passage is for us. We're going to see a guideline here that we can copy even in the face of great evil and danger. 
And this confidence comes from, from the Holy Spirit, and it is for all of us, not only pastors or victory group leaders, but even you. There are three significant events that doom the evil when we read this passage of Scripture. Three significant events. And these events must be noticed, it must be embraced, and it must be imbibed. Because the principles that, that um, were applied by Paul are principles we can apply now. Even the power where he gained that confidence. Siyempre, nakakuha siya ng kumpiyansa. Saan nanggaling yun? Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that lives in you. We're not trying to be good people so that the Holy Spirit will live in us. He's already there. But the devil is saying, you're too bad. Remember what you did? Remember your sin? The Holy Spirit cannot reside on you. How can He tabernacle with you? How can He reside in your heart? Remember what the Word says, you are not your own, you have been bought by a price. The price was the very blood of Jesus Christ. You have to convince yourself. It is by the renewing of the mind every day. Read your Bible, pray, listen to daily devotions. Because the world is so loud. Media, uh, uh, what do you call that? In the computer? Ganun, parang lolo eh, di ba? What do you call that? Ano yun? Social media. Man, it's screaming. You want to be happy? Do this. Buy this. Wear this. Fix this. But that, those are lies from the enemy. And that is how he will devour us. Remember, he's like a roaring lion. But God's voice is gentle. Hindi ka matataranta. Sabi nga ni Pastor Aldwin, still small voice. Hindi ka tinataranta ni Lord. Inaakit ka niya. Gentle. He's gentle. And the world, tatarantahin ka. They'll shout in your ear. You want to be significant? Find, find your identity from within. Ma- magiging magiging complete ka if you find your identity from within. You can never find happiness from within. If you pursue that, you'll just be brokenhearted. That's why people jump out of buildings because they were pursuing something they, they were never meant to pursue. And it's only the love of God in Christ Jesus that can ever satisfy the most unsettled of hearts. That's why you're here because you want to hear the truth because you know the truth. So three significant events. And I'm going to present this in a kind of cause and effect. Cause and effect. You know, God ordained many laws that rule over us. It's like the weather, right? The weather is a law uh, that God placed upon us. Nature was his invention. He ordained that. And it's the same with spiritual laws. Now, someone will say, well, cause and effect. If I do something that God says, then He owes me a response. Then He owes me what He promised. God does not owe anyone. He is above His ordinances. Do you understand? All ordinances was created to serve Him and Him alone. Not to serve us. Well, we benefit from us, but we are not the center of the universe. So he can overcome cause and effect. Nonetheless, he will say, do this and you can expect this because God is a God of order. But his plans will prevail. It will supersede 
these ordinances, right? One ordinance is this significant event. Paul preached. Paul preached. Can we all say that together? One, two, three. If Paul preached, should we preach? I'll answer for you already. Huh? Rhetorical yun. Yes, you should preach. God will always give you an opportunity to speak your mind to people who, who respect you, who love you, who will give you their time of day to listen to what you have to say. And I hope it's just not NBA. We should grab the opportunity, have that... that, um, that uh, sense of urgency the gospel has to be preached and God will be giving me opportunities and I cannot overlook these opportunities especially to the people that you love hayaan mo na kung tawanan kayo hayaan nyo na kung hindi kayo pakinggan just do what God wants you to do in, in obedience and in love and humility and I hope when you share the gospel it will not be, con- it will not be self-righteous it will not be mayabang. It will not be pharisaical and legalistic. It will be delivered in love and humility, just the way Jesus did. In Acts 18, 8 to 13, I will read it. And he entered the synagogue. Three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn, and many people are stubborn, it's not easy to preach the gospel. But don't be afraid. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak, but you have to be willing. You can even pray for it. Now, I won't ask hands raised. How many of us are praying to the Holy Spirit, Lord, give me wisdom, give me confidence so that I can share the gospel? Some of us, maybe even most of us, don't pray that prayer. But today, I hope when we leave this place, we will have that sense of urgency, that divine discontent. You will have a desire for others to hear this beautiful news, this gospel, this gospel of love, this gospel of peace, this gospel of grace, this gospel of faithfulness of God and of justice. Very captivating, right? Wouldn't you want your friends to hear about it? Of course you do. And God will give you the words to say. So persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn, continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. He withdrew from them and took his disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two long years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greek. All heard. Can you imagine what transpired in these two years? Paul preached. When you are a willing instrument to be a channel of blessing, a dispenser of God's goodness, a herald of the good news of Jesus Christ, powerful things happen. Why? Because it's not about you. It's not about, ganito lang po ako, dukha ako, dukha yung tatay ko, lolo ko dukha. Lahat na kami dukha. Walang makikinig sa akin. You have royal blood coursing through your very veins. You have to convince yourself. The Lord tabernacles with you. He resides in you. The Spirit is there. Tap the Holy Spirit and the Spirit will give you that confidence. You cannot overlook that. Paul knew this and he lived his life well. Wouldn't we want at the end of our journey when we see God face to face 
And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Isn't that great? Let's not lose sight of what is truly important. Three months he was in the synagogue. Usually he's thrown out of synagogue. Sanay na si Paul dyan, na tinatapon siya. Sinus- Can I say that? Sinusuka siya ng mga Pharisees. But in this particular place, he understood, they don't want me here. It doesn't look good. We might get hurt. It's time to leave. And he left. And he was in Ephesus. He went in the hall of Tyrannus. And it's funny, the name is Tyrannus from the word tyrant. So this is a, 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 an institution of higher learning. It was, he was a philosopher in Ephesus. And he rented a hall there. Parang ganito, nag-rent siya ng hall at nag-preach siya. Araw-araw, dalawang taon. And theologians are all in agreement that this transpired, uh, that a lot of hours, man hours, was actually binuhos ni Paul. Because the kind of culture that they had, which is quite similar to many European countries, is that meron silang siesta. They will work from 7 to 11, that's the 5th to the 10th hour, and then they're going to have a break from 11 o'clock to 4 o'clock. Siesta, tulog. I don't know if you've been to Italy or Spain. It's like that. I mean, everything is closed. Because I, And I'm shocked. And then we were going to a, a, a restaurant and we wanted to eat. It was one o'clock and he was, looking, he was looking at me like I'm crazy. Where are you here? It's Shesta. We're resting. Ele- one o'clock, I was already hungry. So in their mind, it's, that's, you know. And this one uh, goes way, way back in the ancient Mediterranean. So what did he do? So from 7 to 11, he works. From 11 to 4, he preaches. He rented the hall in, in the hall of Tyrannus, the tyrant philosopher. How many of us had teachers that were tyrants? Some things never change, you know? I had quite a few teachers. All right, 4 o'clock up to 9.30, may kalakalan yun. Tuloy-tuloy pa rin. Hanggang 9.30 p.m. These are cultural. Let's not be surprised, but instead of him sleeping or watching ancient Netflix, he was in the hall of Tyrannus and he was preaching the gospel. Why? Because he knew that evil can be defeated. It looks really bad when you see the sheer number of evil people that surround you. And yet he did not lose heart because he knew that the word of God will prevail. It will prevail. You know what? I don't know. Huh? The, the primary, the primary, uh, not rule the primary uh, relevance of the Word of God. Why did God give us the Word? Why is the Word there? Why is it in our laptops, in our cell phones, in books? Why? Its primary purpose is to challenge evil. Is that, is that good? Primary. Not so that we'll feel good. You know, don't be anxious for nothing. It has advice. It has wisdom for daily living. Diba? Where I should invest, how I should treat my wife, how I raise my children. That's all good, but that's gravy. That's gravy. Bonus lang yun. Pero yung pinaka-role ng word ni God is to challenge evil. And many of us do not challenge evil at all. And we are so passive. But this guy, Paul, he was not passive. He was quite aggressive. Which... I am reminded of what it says in Matthew. Violent men lay claim to it. Right? That's what, it, that's what Jesus said. The kingdom of heaven is violently moving forward. It cannot be stopped. And violent men and women lay claim to it. 
and the description was violence. And you will see violence. You'll see the armor of God. We love the, those passages of Scripture in chapter 6 in Ephesians, right? Can we show a picture of the armor of God? It's okay if it's not. But it's so nice, the, the armor of God. You'll see the, the pieces of the armor of the, Roman, of the Roman soldier. You'll see the helmet. You'll see the chest plate. You'll see the belt. The belt holds the, the uh, uh, what do you call this? Not skirt. Oh, maybe it is skirt. I'm sorry. I might ruffle some, uh, some Roman feathers. Anyway, even their shod, the shoes, and they're all made out of metal with a shield, right? All of those are used for defensive purposes, right? Defensive purposes so that when you get hit, when you get bludgeoned, when you get punched, when you get speared, you don't die. But there's only one in this arsenal that is used for offensive purposes, and that is the sword. And it is described as the sword of the Spirit, which is the very Word of God. In fact, Jesus, in his weakest physical state, on the 40th day of his uh, fasting, was approached by Satan himself. And Satan said, and tried to, tried to tempt him in his physical weakness. He responds three times, citing Bible passages, Old Testament passages. And what happened? He, he, he fleed. fleed. He flew. He departed. He departed. Satan cannot, cannot handle the truth. Parang sabi ni Jack Nicholson, you can't handle the truth. And that's powerful stuff. These are clues for us to win in life, and we must not take them for granted. So if Satan's main job description is to challenge the truth of the Word of God, then the then the primary purpose of the word is to challenge evil and Satan. And Satan cannot stand. In fact, if you take a look at Job, Job himself was so manhandled by life's tirades, so manhandled by so many terrible things that happened in his life. And how did this, how was this initiated? Satan comes to God in heaven. And God says, have you considered my servant, Job? He's righteous. He's a good guy. And Satan says, does, does not he praise you, glorify you for nothing? It's because you your hedge of protection is around him. That's why he prays to you. That's why he, he, he has fidelity towards you. That's why he loves you. But you take all these things away, he'll, and what happened? To make a long story short, the worst that could ever, ha ever happen to a man of God happened to Job. And at the end of the story, he was restored seven times more than what he ever had. Now, was God hedging on Job? Was he betting on Job? Was he betting on the righteousness of Job, his goodness, his reason, his ability to resist the temptation of not believing and forgetting about God? No. He was hedging on himself. He was hedging on his word. And that's what the Bible says, that every word that comes out of the mouth of God, it will never come back to him empty. It will accomplish what it has been sent out to do. 
That is the confidence we can have in the very Word of God. In fact, in the New Testament, even Peter was tested and he failed miserably. And before that, he was warned by Jesus. Jesus said, Satan came. He said, can, can, I sift, can he sift you like wheat? Alam niyo yung wheat? Yung pinagpa- well, the old way they do it is pinagpapapalo nilang ganon until the grains fall off and you can get it and make bread, right? And it's quite a violent process if you take a look at it. And this kind of description was common to them. You'll be sift like wheat, but take heart. Take heart. I am praying for you so that you will be able to stand. And when you have endured, you're going to be blessing other people. And that's what happened. That's the story of the life of Peter. So expect trouble. You will be sent out, Jesus said, into where the wolves are. Where the wolves are. And how did Jesus describe us? Pastor Aldwin, he described us as sheep. Sheep is the dumbest animal in the world. They cannot survive by themselves. We are sheep. Most gullible. In fact, Jesus, when he saw the crowd harassed and helpless, he said, Kawawa naman. I have compassion. I have compassion in them. They are like sheep without a shepherd. That's why when we pray, Lord, give me a heart like yours. Help me to see people the way you see them. Help me to have compassion on them, not to be judgmental, not to be like the Pharisees, but someone who will inconvenience themselves out of love and humility and compassion and share the gospel to them, not because I'm better than them. And even Paul said, I am chief of all sinners. And I hope that will be our posture as we reach out to other people so that this is no joke. Every time we come here, welcome to victory. We desire to honor God and make disciples. Those are not loose words. That's the very heart of God. And every time we mention it, that's what God loves. When we inconvenience ourselves, when we sacrifice, when we serve others the way He served us. Jesus said He didn't come to be served, but to serve. Second event. The second event. So here we can see that He was preaching every day. He really exhausted Himself. This is the... His work ethic is not even funny. It's so tremendous. Second is, miracles followed. How many of us know when you preach the word, signs and wonders will follow? It will follow. Because the word of God is very powerful. It doesn't only change minds, but it can even bend the laws of nature. Why? Because God is the God of nature. What happens when miracles follow? Evil gets into confusion. Evil is in disarray. There's a word that we use in the evangelical circle, and it's called power evangelism. When we evangelize and there are healings and there are slayings and there are people whose lives from addiction are turned around and they live a life of freedom, these these usher in large amounts of people receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior because it's, it's... so incredible that you cannot not help but lay your life down for God. And that's what you call power evangelism. And this is what transpired. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the power whom Paul proclaimed. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know but who are you? At that time, 
exorcism was big business. The Jewish, the Jewish priests did not indulge in, in such. It was the outsider Jewish uh, priests that were doing it. They were not part of the regular group. And they did it by mentioning more powerful spiritual names. When you, power, when you mention the powerful name, the weaker spirit cannot help but depart. And this was something that they did, and they had secret knowledge. It was sort of a Gnostic belief system. They knew powerful names. It was secret. It was only them. And they say, rumor has it, that they knew the ineffable name, the unspeakable, unspeakable name of God himself. The Jews don't mention the name of God, Bawal. Pero sila alam raw nila. And their evil was exposed. And the one that brought judgment upon them was even demons. So they themselves, naglalaban-laban na, nag-aaway-aaway na. You know that saying? No honor among thieves, it's the same. No honor, honor among demons. So they themselves were beating each other up because they were in panic because of the sheer number of miraculous events that was transpiring. And let me continue. And we're almost done. It says here, uh, they fled out of the house naked. And... I forgot to mention verse 11, very important. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them. Can you imagine? Can you just picture that in your mind? Habang natutulog siguro si Paul, yung mga disciple niya lalapit, tas kukunin yung panyo niya at saka yung apron. Papahid-pahirin. Tapos tatakbo na sila. Pupunta na sila doon sa mga may sakit. And they started driving out demons and they started out healing people who were sick and ill. Mind you, you don't see that now, right? But at that time, these disciples of His must have been ignorant. They must have been uh, uninformed. They must have been new Christians. And yet, God honored the hard work of Paul that the articles that was used to be a conduit of the very power of God were the articles that, the items that Paul used in his tent making, in his hard work. Andun yung pawis niya. He, he was never a burden to anyone. He worked. He worked from 7 to 11 and from 4 to 9.30. And God condescended. Papagbigyan ko kayo gagamitin ko yung panyo at yung apron nyo, papagalingin ko sila para makita nyo kung kagano katibay ang just niyo. God is not hard-hearted. He loves you. He will condescend. The day you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, He condescended. The day Jesus was hung on the cross, He condescended. Daily, He condescends. When He sanctifies you daily, non-stop, until the very day that He comes back or we see Him in heaven. The third and last event after these miracles, the word spread. The word spread. And what happens because of the word spreading? Evil is in retreat. Cause and effect. When you spread the word, people will hear. And what happens is that the word of God is so convincing that you will be moved. So much so that you will turn from your evil ways. And that in itself is quite a tremendous miracle that we cannot overlook. That's powerful stuff. When we allow ourselves to be used to share the gospel, mighty things will happen. Which leads me 
to my, my one point. It says here that God uses us and miracles to defeat evil through the preaching of the word. And again, I'm sure some of us would be saying, Kuya John, ang haba naman ng one point nyo. Makakalimutan ko, pwede po bang mas maikli? Sure, I will condescend. Okay, the shorter one word, the word smashes evil. That's what it does. Jesus on the cross is the culmination of the narrative of the Bible. It is his love letter to us. Let us find confidence and strength in the times that we are unsure if we will be an instrument of God's gospel, if we will be an instrument of the spread of this good news that will eventually defeat evil. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you today, O God. You are great and you are tremendously mighty. Today, we submit ourselves to you, O Lord God. We will resist the devils and all his machinations and all his lies and his, all his tomfoolery today by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we do this, he will flee from our sight. You are great, O Lord God, for you have rescued us, O Lord Jesus, from the dominion of darkness. You have brought us into the kingdom of light into the very kingdom of the Son that you love. Lord, we have redemption in you. Lord, we have restoration in you. Lord, we have confidence in you. And only you will be able to move our hearts, to inconvenience ourselves, to share such a beautiful love story, the story of a carpenter who was perfect in all his ways, the story of the very Son of God, incarnate himself, who lived, who did no wrong, who died, who rose from the dead and ascended it to heaven, and eventually was exalted at the very right hand of the Father. This is the God that we pray to. This is the God where we pin our hopes on, and we know we will never be put to shame. You are great and you are mighty. We love you forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.